Hello and welcome to this episode of The Run-In, which this week is sponsored by Envy. More about them later. And right at this time, if you're listening, as soon as we publish, it should be the World Orienteering Championships. We should have had the knockout sprint today. We should have had the sprint relay two days ago. We should have the individual sprint in two days' time. So this whole episode is going to be about the World Championships. We've got a great guest. We've got Yannick Michelson to tell us all about kind of what he does. A great, um, would have been a favourite for this World Championships. Um, We're going to kind of have chats through both of our um experiences at world championships and what our kind of routines are obviously from a athlete and from a commentator perspective as well but we do actually have some news for this uh week we have some some new dates set for the major um major events uh, so the the world championships in 2022 now in denmark the uh, european championships in estonia 2022 and the world games in birmingham alabama Uh, also in 2022 all of those key dates have been set a very small turnaround from the world championships to the world games and of course some time zones will need to be crossed uh, in that one so that one is the only one that's that's quite close but you can check all those out on orienteering.sport which is the ios website if you want to see that the other interesting thing there to note is that junior world championships in turkey they were postponed till october and any kind of final decisions will be made about that at the latest by the beginning of august so that is pretty much the details kind of internationally of what's going on meanwhile british orienteering have announced that orienteering will return to england on the first of august 2020 of course subject to any further restrictions and working within those restrictions as well they're going to issue some return to orienteering guidelines by the 13th of july um to kind of help us to facilitate um you know how we can have some levels of orienteering you know not the jk not the scottish not huge events i'm sure straight away but some small orienteering that's going to happen so yeah will that's pretty exciting yeah, absolutely. Really exciting. It's fantastic to hear normal orienteering service might be resumed within the space of a month, which I, for one, wasn't expecting anything until possibly October. I've just recently written my next kind of training plan for the next couple of months and it didn't have any orienteering events in it, so I'm going to have to suddenly start replanning things, which is lovely. Obviously, we don't know what kind of form that's going to return in, um, whether that's going to be a certain... Um, amounts of people for a start list or if it's just local events or if clubs are restricted to only their club members but I think the fact that anything at all is coming back is really positive and especially the fact that that might even allow for the resumption of a season for this year as well with British champs and things like that that could possibly be rescheduled hopefully at a uh, short notice to have a run of competitions and maybe some of the strongest local event fields that people have had in a long time, which is really quite cool that mm. um, people are just going to be going out and trying to absolutely smash some local races, which is nice to see. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's going to be any, um, will, any events that you're really going to want to to peak for in August, September. So no. I'm sure <laughs> no, anyone that you not. will actually have in your calendar <laughs> will not be as early as that. I'm sure it will be some sort of kind of thinking about what other sports are doing. I was looking at um, some netball guidelines. I think it's going to be very phased in terms of what we can do. And of course, we have no idea what mm. the future is going to be like in terms of easing out of lockdown, second lockdowns. And of course, 
in different parts uh, of the UK as well. This is this is just applicable to England, of course. Yeah, and you've got local lockdowns which could come in mm-hmm. and suddenly disrupt stuff as well. So it's obviously we can't all start breaking the social distancing rules and things like that. And um, you know, I have mm. to follow the government guidance, but with everything else easing and um, opening up, and the fact that cricket is returning and other other things as well, mm-hmm. it's. Positive signs, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. So 13th of July 2024, that one. But yeah, let's turn to the World Championships. I guess, where, where shall I start? I think we're going to go through my uh, my kind of experiences first and then Will's experiences um, later on after the interview. What do you want to know, Will? Ask me some questions. Oh, well, well, quite a lot because I've never been on that side of the, uh, of the tape, you know, in the commentary booth or under mm. that kind of pressure of having to deal with live broadcasting or live org, um, organisation in any kind of way. So, uh, well, first, do you commentate on every race that they do? Or is that just limited to like no qualification races or, or things like that? Yeah, so we only do kind of finals. So we do the sprint relay um, final. We wouldn't do this, the kind of the individual sprint qualifier but we would do the, the sprint final in the afternoon. And what should have been today is the knockout sprint. So I wouldn't have done the the qualifications in the quarterfinals. It's only the knockout semis and the finals that you do. But I, I do try and like to make an effort to go down and watch the qualifications in the quarterfinals because it's one of the few times that I can actually kind of switch off my commentator brain and I can just kind of cheer out for for the team just for all the competitors i like to kind of have a little look at how people are doing how people are acting in quarantine or like post race and cooling down having a little few chats to some people um figure out as well like i have to tell later on i have to tell the story of what happened earlier in the day that we didn't see so Mm. i have to kind of have that clear in my head and because my audience is you know like here mostly orienteers I can go into a little bit of detail about what kind of loops or gaffles or forkings as it's kind of internationally known um, were used in the qualification and the quarters and be able to tell a little bit of story. It's much easier if I've seen it. Yeah, so that that's really interesting about how you're creating that narrative from people that people haven't seen it or watched it or experienced mm. it other than those in the arena or those racing. And you're kind of creating the story almost and are you there taking notes or is it all just visual or or kind of and mentally so, capturing things yeah so sometimes there will have been um most of the time there's actually cameras at some of the qualifications so you might have a little montage of what happened earlier but normally i mean i'm keeping an eye on the results maybe making a few kind of notes but generally being able to or i'm picking out interesting things like if there's a very close finish because I think there was one um, in Switzerland last year where the top all five were so close coming out of the last control and it was a really, really short from the last control to the finish. And um, that was quite some good drama. So I re- remember interesting things like that, which kind of more than just kind of this person qualified, this person qualified, because we'll find out that out when we see the start list for the semifinals. Mm. Or if there's any, or I like to pick out if, if there's anybody we would have expected to be in the semi-finals who's not there, or if people unexpected have made it, then that's always a good thing to kind of pull out as well. Yeah, and do you find that you're able to grab those people afterwards for a chat, or are they just completely 
you know, off in their own world, they're warming down and you can't speak to them? Or do you, do you speak to anyone between the rounds or is it all kind of shut I down? Or, you, or do you not invade that space? Well, it's hard because, I mean, I still feel like I'm... I don't know a lot of the... I know some of the athletes, but I don't know a whole load of them. And I wouldn't feel like I can kind of approach a lot of them if they're, you know, you're... It's a really high-intensity competition the whole day. So I kind of try and gauge the mood if I feel like I can go and talk to someone or, like, ask somebody who knows somebody and try and ask around to see if there is any kind of issues. But often, you know, you just had a bad race or whatever, you just Mm. didn't get in. So, um, and then certainly, like, I'll, you know, like to say hello to the British team because everyone's kind of out there and I don't get to see all the team the whole time um, and kind of try and gauge the mood. But some people like to chat and some people don't like to chat and i respect both both of those so yeah mm. and how sometimes is the it? last thing you want is a journalist like me coming and being like how was your race yeah. <laughs> <laughs> will tell me why have you not made this in the semi-final why, why did you bomb out in the qualification will <laughs> what was that you were last yeah, why did they pick which you is, well well i feel like I, I feel like maybe i could ask you that in good humor but there's people i know less well and i don't just don't want to yeah. you know <laughs> i know so yeah for reference i normally uh, like a, about an hour of absolutely fuming then i'll try and move on <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, actually i could feel like feel like yeah sometimes there is a, a little bit of space <laughs> <laughs> but uh, is it is it quite hard you obviously mentioned the the gb team there. is it quite hard to commentate without an internal bias towards your home country i imagine that's quite difficult not to get let's say gb a, a leading in the sprint relay or something like that is it hard to keep any bias at bay so Jonas always tells me off he's my co-commentator when there's a Brit who's kind of doing mediocre (laughs) and I'm talking about them just because I know how to talk about them but then he was almost telling me off in the other sense when um Chris Jones and Ralph Street both got through to the final. They had a smashing semi-final in Switzerland, and they, um, you know, they got through to the final. It was a, it was a fantastic race, and he, he was like, no, this is the time when you can big up the Brits. Like, don't, you know, don't hold back here. Like, you know, you can actually do this. So um, it's always something I'm aware of, um, and sometimes. yeah maybe I focus on them a bit too much but then I'm aware that you know it's an English speaking commentary there's probably lots of Brits reasonable amount of Brits watching as well but I do try and keep fairly as neutral as I can but I know it's probably not possible simply because I have more information on the Brits as well Mm. yeah and yeah like you say the English speaking nations are probably the ones kind of watching a bit more because some of the Scandinavian nations have their own TV feeds Um, yeah What's that like juggling? What's it like in the commentary box with the co-commentator then? How do you make sure you don't cross over each other and and ask the right questions and things like that? Um, That's a really good question. I think, like, we've been working together for, we've come aboard 2017, uh, the World Championships there in Estonia. So, like, we've done quite a few um, kind of years of competitions now. And part of that is... We kind of we have different roles, so I will tend to describe what's happening, maybe add in some of that information, or or maybe ask questions, and then I, I throw those over to Jonas to add. You know, he's more of an expert than I am. He's 
been to a jaywalk he knows a lot of the, the Swedish team and the Swiss team so he can add in some of the details that I can't or add in some statistics or kind of discuss the merits of a route particular route then that's kind of where I throw to him um, to be able to have mm. that and he kind of can add a comment on top of what I can do but then I've you know English is my native language it's not his and he feels that I you know I my role is to kind of bring in some of the enthusiasm and describe everything and see where we can go from, you know go from there yeah and it's Jonas Mertz isn't it so, uh, brother yes. of Matthias who mm-hmm. multiple world champion I yeah, imagine I've got a fair few uh, banks of knowledge in that family yeah a fair few contacts as well it's very yeah. very well useful when you have a, a Swiss person who lives in Sweden and speaks Swedish you know fluently as well so knows all the Swiss knows most of the Swedes and Norwegians and as you know as well so that's very helpful mm. so let's go for your um I, I guess we can compare and contrast here and go like run us for a day of commentary but maybe do it in terms of your 20 2017 was your first world champs commentating on it for the uh for the international feed right no, 2015 was my oh, first 20, one. Was it 2015? 20, 2017 was the first one with uh, with Jonas. With um, Jonas, but sorry, no, yeah. I did I did 2015 um, with my granddad, <laughs> who oh, was wow. doing it at the time and wanted an assistant. It was like, and I did student radio at the time, so he was like, Catherine, do you want to come along? And I was like, okay. So, so what was that like then, being thrown into that in 2015 as your, as oh. your first one? Oh, that was great. Well, so there was a... They had um, a Scottish commentator as the kind of main commentator and then my granddad, Clive Allen, was the expert. And I was just kind of like an extra pair of eyes that he wanted to bring along. And so they started with the sprint events and there's not really much time to say very much on the sprint events and you can't get really, really technical. So I didn't really say that much. I was just kind of looking out for people or looking on the splits, um, screens and everything and kind of adding stuff when necessary. But then you got into the forest later on in the competition and there there's just much more time for people to say stuff. So I just kind of said more and more throughout the week. But I mean, this is what I do. Like I've done student radio then. It feels very normal for me to be speaking into a microphone. Um, so I don't get nervous anymore. I did, I, do, I did maybe like the first time, but I just like... Yeah, it's it's really normal for me to put on a put on some headphones, have my microphone, be talking to people, and just like I just don't really think about it. So yeah, hmm. I know that you pre-run the courses beforehand um, because I've heard you say that on commentary before, and, uh-huh. uh, and not a secret. Go, yeah, yeah, you go quite detailed into that. But what does a day or what would a day look like for you? Of let's take the. Um, what would be on Saturday uh, this week coming of the sprint quality sprint final? What would that day look like? Yeah, so I might I might have pre-run the day before or I might have pre-run the morning of. I may have even pre-run. I Probably there was one time I had finished and then 15 minutes later I was on air. Um, <laughs> it really Gosh. varies, but definitely for world championships, you are. I have to go to a place, I get given a map, I go for a certain time, I give the map back, like there's lots of kind of things in place and but I'm very open with 
I I have pre-run the races. I'm not going to hide that, but that's as far as the conversation goes. Mm. Um, so then from having the qualification, then I've got the, I get the start list from there. And that's really kind of what I'll start to work on. I have like a, a database a spreadsheet really of of all the competitors that I've kind of updated after each maybe after each race so maybe I've got results from the sprint relay and the, the knockout sprint already in there so I know who the world champions already are from from the first two races uh, and then I'm kind of looking down the start list and I'm maybe writing in a few details kind of from my spreadsheet in there I'm particularly looking out for maybe people who are starting fairly early who I think might do quite well maybe somebody who's starting 20th to last or 30th to last who we, we might still see in the production um, but they might do a bit better than their kind of placing allows really you you can make all these notes and then you just you'll use like 10% or like 25% I don't really know but you 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 do a lot more the idea is you do a lot more prep and I don't really I can't just immediately tell you how many world championships or how many medals someone's won. So I do have, kind of have to get that written down. Like I don't have that skill to immediately be able to recall that. And so that might be the hotel. Like I might not even get to the arena until maybe like an hour before, like check out the the space where I'm going to be. Um, we'll do a sound check with the OB van. Um, so just to make sure, you know, I'm just talking at the level I'd normally talk and they just check that it's going to be all the right... Um, uh, volume and whatever else they do with it uh, that o- I don't really OB understand. OB being official um, broadcaster. Yeah, sorry. Okay, is OB official broadcaster van? Oh, no, uh, outside broadcast. Sorry, outside broadcast. I, okay, sorry. no, no worries. <laughs> yeah, this is. I sorry, I'll slip these things in. Thanks for asking me. Um, <laughs> and so, and then I will maybe, and I'll get, a, I'll get a list of kind of the running order. So what shots I'm gonna uh, definitely like for the beginning and end. What shots I'm gonna see when? Because often there's like a montage of clips of shots from the area it's kind of a bit touristy and i hate talking over them because i never know what to say um and then and then you know that you're going to get the start list and then you're going to get a shot of the arena and then you're going to you know for the for the bit that they can plan out we know what we're going to see but that's kind of very familiar to me now so i don't have to bother looking at it and then um yeah i mean we'll be there like 20 minutes beforehand just kind of getting anything final done we'll have the maps delivered once um quarantine's closed so i can i love to physically see the map and i'll actually often put a big circle around where the uh where the tv controls are which i will know in advance probably where the tv controls are and i like so i can visualize that on the map and really helps Ah. me to kind of be able to describe it so i can say they're at control three and four and then the the actual timed control the control where we take the time is control number five because i know lots of people are watching on the uh watching on the gps tracker as well and like that's kind of nerdy orienteer stuff that we want to know maybe Mm. non-orienteers they don't need to know that it's controls three four and five they just need to know it's the first time check but i kind of want to use language that's reflective of how we talk normally yeah i suppose then you can layer in a narrative of where like, you know where they've come in f- where they've come from what the alleyway was what where they yeah. might have turned beforehand as well so you can add yeah. a bit more narrative to the story exactly there's a great um example from uh riga i think um world championships there uh, which was the last time lol we had a sprint world championships um mm. but there was some times when 
you'd come back they'd come back at this alleyway out of the control if they turned right they'd gone the correct way if they turned left that's immediately 15 seconds or more gone like you can mm. you know I can figure out that and then maybe have had a look at some of the they'll have some graphics about which route is quicker on some of the particular um, legs they want to look at where there's some good route choice um, so I might have seen that beforehand as well um, but yeah having those maps in front of me having um yeah different bits of papers kind of really helps me to understand where we are as well yeah and it's a i mean it's a long day commentating on a walk file and i know we're doing sprint walk but walk long must be a pretty big ordeal yeah what's it like keeping the energy level all the way through the broadcast i think i have done like a six hour commentary before but they're kind of it's kind of changing i'm not sure it's always going to be like that and certainly the like tv channels don't take all six hours but we there's like some debate as to whether we should or not because it's quite nice to see some of the earlies but then a long a long is so different to a sprint a sprint is almost one of the hardest to do because everything happens so quickly and you don't have time to analyze stuff and suddenly people will drop out of the the, those you're focusing on because they've made some one mistake and you don't have time to you to figure out what it was let alone talk about it mm. um the long is very different and you talking a kind of a lot more different things and you, you know you know roughly when the last finisher is going to be in and you just have to make sure you've you can still talk english still speak english by the time the last <laughs> the winner is at the finish <laughs> so you can talk them in like reasonably decently and then to be honest like i just the 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 um the broadcast ends i have no idea what's just happened <laughs> or or the like women's race finished like an hour and a half ago and then we have the men's race finish and then i have to recap what happens in both races and i'm like oh god what what went on <laughs> so i try and make some notes down like what happened or if someone makes a mistake at control two i'll put like will number six um so that i blew know it. Made it you blew it at number six you were like right up there until then and then i know that's the one it all fell apart on so that i can use that to recap if i need to oh that well yeah that probably feels a lot of commentary hours as well with me um, <laughs> um <laughs> to be honest i don't think i've really commentated on you much actually mm, the little bits in um when was the uh not the mass start the chasing start that you had the pro the prologue and the um, oh finland last year yeah yeah oh i love that race that was was one of my all-time favorite races um and what's what would you say are kind of the things you've learned from from that first one in 2016 from 2015 and then when you kind of went on to 2016 with more experience and then bringing Jonas in 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 2017 Mm. what what were your biggest mistakes what have you learned along the way or things you'd improve on if anything one thing i was doing is was i was not doing enough talking to the pictures because i had gps trackers up i had splits up and i was almost talking to them and not focusing on the pictures because then often what we do is we'd go back and see so i i'd noticed already that someone was making a mistake and i'd talk about it and then like 30 seconds later the pictures would go back and do it when they had space in the pictures to to show somebody making a mistake so I've learned now to kind of actually not look too much at the GPS tracking, live GPS tracking that's not on the main screen that everybody else sees or not look too much on the splits, but to be able to kind of focus a lot more on the pictures and, you know, describe what's going on then. Because, Mm. you know, then they will probably almost definitely catch up on the 
the mistakes that were made there's various people in in the outside broadcast fan that um are looking for those kind of things basically yeah so they're yeah they're controlling the narrative and you've just got to yeah i suppose speak to yeah. it more yeah although sometimes because i do know because it's a czech production company and sometimes i'm pretty sure they have us on in english in the van so it's not gonna lie sometimes i'll be like oh it would be really great if we could like figure out what this person did here and then <laughs> and then it gets shown so yeah i quite enjoy doing that sometimes i mean it sounds like a pretty intense uh several few hours i mean almost i love it though I, you're so you're like you're so in the middle of it and you're like the first one to kind of see people you know when like um you know people people go different routes and they get ahead on like the knockout sprint or someone makes a mistake and you're kind of right there in the moment and you can really feel the kind of the pressure and the tension and you're the first one who gets to describe it to somebody else and help them enjoy it as well and that's mm. why ah oh, it's just i love it so much like it's just so it's a great feeling to mm. to be at the center of with the lack of sport that's been on at the moment um eurosport's been showing a couple of old tour de france stages and i watched one the other day and i noticed that the commentator clearly had lines that he'd set up that he was obviously going to use and then essentially do what you said focus on what he wanted to say and not pay attention to what was on the screen and miss attacks and things like that how mm. do you ever write phrases that you're going to say or do you just try and let it flow naturally no i don't but i can kind of see on tour de france when there it's such a long broadcast and a lot not a lot happens all the time mm. um that you need you need to have a list of things that you can talk about luckily generally there's enough happening that i can but i may have i may have thought about particular things that i want to address like things like in the norway world championships it was about having the start in the arena and the kind of the course that could be planned as a result of that like i think there were lots of has caused a little bit of controversy that the start was where it was so we could talk about that but i don't and and you know some people will like tick that off and make sure that they've they've said that once they don't need to say it again um whereas yeah i'm a bit more kind of relaxed on that front and try and respond although yeah maybe i'll have thought about some kind of you know it's it's the storylines you're trying to pick out like what is the story of this race going to be so i'm sure when we get back to when we get back to competing it's going to be right who's been able to do what outside of coronavirus you know with coronavirus like who's been able to train and we might have like a wider debate on that kind of thing reflection on that if we have time mm, yeah but no jingoistic phrases that you're just trying to crowbar in oh of, no yeah. no i can't no i can't really stand that <laughs> i think it would i think it would you'd be able to notice if i did that to be honest yeah, it is quite an obvious tale. With, yeah, but anyway, we're, we're digressing onto uh, Eurosport. <laughs> Maybe they should employ you, Catherine, as the uh, cycling commentator for yes, Eurosport. I'll be there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's fascinating here because I just, I, I mean, I've watched quite a few broadcasts and then obviously seen you after races at events, and it's a very, it's a very different thing racing and then watching because you're mm-hmm. you're constantly picturing yourself as the athlete. Okay. You, don't, you never picture yourself as, a comment, as, as the commentator, kind of mm. having to juggle everything all the time and prepping and everything like that. So it's, it's fascinating here, this, this level of insight that you've got to go into and 
um, yeah although the, the, you know you can I, I I could do more prep you know like actually I don't want to be too much out of oh this person has a dog called whatever and they <laughs> they um, you know uh, you know there's, I saw the splits they were hitting much. last week yeah but but you can have a general comment to say because you know I don't do loads and loads and loads of prep and maybe that's because we don't have the same kind of stats that you would like a, a footballer where you'd know last time they got a red card was this against this they, had, they scored this many goals against this the, the same team in the last few years they've um you know where they went to school like i don't know um there aren't quite as many stats i can have if, if yeah. i were doing football commentary so yeah but yeah but there's often stats for the sake of stats aren't there which i think is <laughs> maybe the beauty of orienting that you don't dive into that for the sake of you know saying that this this is the first time there's a gold medal awarded at this arena well yeah. obviously yeah. obviously <laughs> yeah yeah you know everything i mean i'm i'm trained as a journalist like everything needs to be kind of telling a story and if it's to to go help you tell a story of like tover alexanderson is just ridiculously quick or whether that's somebody else has been doing a lot of sprint training recently or they've been up at high altitude like the, the swiss team have been at the moment but then a lot of that is you know i pick up stuff from just following people on social media you know that's why i know the swiss team i, I haven't looked up that particularly for this podcast like i just happened to know they were in Samaritz and had a five-stage race that simone inigli and matthias kibbert's won respectively like you know mm. it helps when you um have done it for a while and you can recognize all the people as well because didn't used to be very good at that it kind of leading into our main interview of this podcast and i'm, I'm gonna ask you to prep a line now what would you have said as yannick crossed the line for his gold medal at walk oh uh well, this is putting you on the here, spot. This here's is doing Mickles. He's had the race of his career so far, and it's going to be gold for Belgium. I don't know, some 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 rubbish like that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> if you really want me to, yeah, I don't know. It's all in the moment, Will. Come on. Yeah, well, there we go. That's what we. That's what we've learned from this as well. So I don't know why I tried to get you to do that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all in the moment. Um, yeah. yeah, but uh, our interview this week, let's, should we move on to the interview this week? Let's move on to the interview. <laughs> so it is from um, Belgian sprint superstar, multi-World Cup winner. And of course, as I've said already, he would have been one of the favourites if Wok had been going ahead. So this is our chat with Yannick Mikkels. Yannick, how are you doing? Hey, uh, I'm doing well. <laughs> Excellent. Um so first of all, I guess let's, uh, you know, where are you? What's up? You know, kind of how have you been for the last few months of, of lockdown? I've been at home. <laughs> it's the first time in a, in a long time I've been uh, staying at home for such a long time. So uh, I do miss the traveling and of course I do miss uh, competing. But uh, since uh, I've been on a training camp in Spain in the end of uh, February and that was actually my last uh, time abroad. So uh, since then, I'm just uh, safe at home in Belgium. And what's that like, kind of that that come down from the permanent uh, elite lifestyle of going off everywhere to having to remain in the same place for for four months in a row? I'm I'm a kind of a guy. I like I like to plan in advance. So uh, I actually have mostly a program or a schedule for my year, or maybe even for the coming years. And uh, yeah, this totally. <laughs> Uh, changed 
so um, that was not fun of course but uh, I think yeah and in the beginning when 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 the lockdown started I, I expected it it wouldn't last for long and um, I just kept training well and just prepared for uh, for walk in July but then things got more serious and all over the world uh, things uh, changed so um, I, I had a small uh, like training break did it a bit easier and then uh, once uh, we got more information about everything um, I started to make of course new plans they are at least for this year still a bit unsure but um, at least I know one at least one race about uh, in August I will run for sure and then for the rest of the year it's still a bit of a question mark is that a race in, in Belgium itself yeah, yeah, um, just a normal running race. So uh, on the 1st of August in Belgium, they are allowed to organize uh, competitions again. So um, I will start <laughs> that that day already with the Belgian championship in 10K, the road, the road championship. So <laughs> no, uh, way to start. Yeah, it's uh, it will be a tough competition, I guess, because all guys uh, or, or a lot of guys will be there, a lot of good guys. Uh, mm everyone will be in shape i guess so uh training is now uh focused on that and what were the um what were the strict restrictions like for training were were all the athletics tracks closed or could you could you get on the track a bit or was it fully um, locked down the the problem was the track i'm usually training on uh they had uh, like a a center where uh, this where the covid patients had to go first <laughs> So uh, oh. of course I was not allowed to to come close by that uh, that building, so I couldn't go to the track. Yeah. But uh, there is an old dirt track not so far from home, so I went a few times there. But most of the trainings I just did from home because actually we were not really allowed to to do any any movements or unnecessary movements. Of course, I could tell I was a, a top athlete, and uh, I need to 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 drive to a track or to a training facility to train. But um, yeah, most trainings I just started out of the door, and uh, I have enough forest uh, and and another good uh, running possibilities close to home. Mm. And and you said you were a kind of a bit of a creature of habit and liked to plan everything out for years in advance. What was that like when? Um, the World Champs was finally cancelled in a, a couple of months into lockdown. What was your reaction to that news? Of course, I, I, I saw um, more and more other events getting cancelled and also events which were scheduled later in the year. So I was, for me, it was already sure that walk was was impossible to held or in in July. So, um, but of course, I hoped for for a chance that we would compete in October. But uh, in the end, maybe it's better. It's moved moved up uh, for uh, for two years, um, or of actually the walk in Denmark at least, um, because uh, yeah, with the travel restrictions, it's a bit hard for some people to to travel to another country to to train there. So I think it's a fair decision to to move. Uh, walk in Denmark to 2022 but um, yeah in the first the first moment they announced uh, that there wasn't uh, a walk this year there wasn't a walk next year I was very disappointed because my uh, my last uh, world championship was in 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 Riga so it would have meant there wasn't uh, any championship for for four years 
Mm. But uh, I'm very pleased that uh, Czech organizers are uh, open-minded and um, they had uh, at least an individual sprint next year. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So you you definitely wouldn't have uh, made the transition back to doing the forest for next year. It would have been just focus on the road and the track. Um, yeah, if no, wasn't uh, on. no, I, I think uh, it's clear for me that uh, sprint is my main focus and I want to do well and I can do well there. So I want to to get my full focus on that. Of course, I was thinking a bit uh, the continental terrain in, in Czech would suit me a bit better than, for example, uh, a Scandinavian walk. But uh, I also aim a little bit more on, on, on just pure running. So um, I think it's fair for me that I, I do mostly sprint orienteering and next to that some some goals in in running mm. Mm. absolutely and what uh what would your aims this year have have been for the um for the world champs you know you've had uh, a world cup win last year in china and you've had silvers and bronze in the world cups as well and i think you were fourth in 2018 in what 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 was the aim this year and what will it be for next year's 2021 championships of course, it was really nice to end last year with two, actually two wins, both in two. Switzerland Sorry. and in China. So uh, it was an, an, a big motivation booster for, for this year because I feel like uh, the, the trains in, in, Der- in Denmark would suit me very well. Um, it's flat, so that's positive for me. Um, so my aim was, of course, I still don't have any any medal at the at, at the world champs or at the, at the European champs. So I think the the main goal was finally to to step up to the to the real podium. I've been in the top six, but uh, a medal is the most important. So the the goal was, of course, to to be there in the in the individual sprint, and then the, the knockout. Uh, it's a bit. Uh, you can be very lucky that day or you can uh, be very unlucky. Mm-hmm. So uh, my main goal was on the individual sprint because I think I'm the strongest in that. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, making the top six uh, or the final in the in the knockout sprint was my second goal. Why do you think you, uh, you lend more to that individual than the knockout? Because I would have said in the uh, you've got a lot of experience obviously racing head to head on the road and in cross country and things. Yeah, I think the the winning the winning time in a knockout sprint is a little bit short. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm am a strong runner and I prefer a bit longer winning times. So uh, six okay. to eight minutes is a bit short, and I know a lot of guys can keep up a high speed for for eight minutes. So um, I've noticed in in other knockout sprints I've been running that a uh, few guys are quicker than me in the in the end. And uh, on a race of 14, 15 minutes, uh, I think there you can really make the difference. And that's also what you see on the results of individual sprints, that there uh, are a bit bigger gaps uh, between between the, the winners and, and the other guys. Yeah. No, it's, it's an interesting thought, actually. And I'm kind of thinking off the top of my head here. Would you ever throw in, like, pushing to a 1500 meter or a mile race into your training to to try and maybe work on that top end speed in, in that kind of more middle distance style that maybe the knockout sprint is. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I, I actually haven't raced for real a, a 1500 or a mile. So my my PB is actually during a 3K. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, but my the pure speed I'm, is not my, my strongest points. But I think I can maintain a really high pace for a long time and that makes me 
stronger at least in the individual sprint mm. Mm. but of course uh, with knockout uh, I wouldn't only I wouldn't train only for for the individual but uh, of course I will work also on on that top speed I need yeah. it and and I I think I once you are in the final there is a chance all six guys can can fight for the win so um of course I will prepare for that how do you feel about in the knockout sprint the races having so many races in in one day or sometimes if it's over two days do you feel like that's a strength um that, that you something you can bring that maybe others would struggle with i think that's also maybe that's a good thing in in the knockout and I, i'm used to train quite much and um i don't i don't struggle too much with uh, the four races in in in, in one day of course, I'm, I'm really happy that uh, at least I think for the World Cup in Switzerland, they announced that they would have would uh, do the qualification, at least the first race one day earlier. So uh, that's already good um, for the for the final day. But uh, I think, of course, it's compared to athletics. When I tell friends from from athletics that I'm competing four, di- four times in one day, they are always... <laughs> laughing with me and telling I'm crazy um, but um, um, I've learned I've learned that um, especially with running the four four races that uh, it's possible um, in the beginning I'm, I'm a guy I like to warm up well and uh, I think that was the main thing I had to reduce a bit shorter and intense warm up than um, than a really long warm-up I usually do before my races. So uh, if you find there the right balance uh, and then uh, in the end everyone is tired. The six guys there in the knockout, uh, none of them is still fresh. So um, it's, uh, it's a, hard, a hard fight for everyone. Yeah, everyone's in the same same position. That's that's what I get. You know, everyone has had to do exactly the same thing to be able to get to that position. Yeah, you've just got to hope you've got there in a better, slightly better position than the other five guys. Indeed, yeah. But for me, in the knockout, I've been running a few of them now. I think the mental and the mental part of this race is much much more important than than the physical, or at least I. <laughs> What's that's my opinion of what I felt like, for example, in uh, in in Switzerland, that uh, maybe the smartest guy is uh, is winning this race. Okay, yeah. so how how do you mean by that? Can you explain a bit more for people who haven't done a knockout sprint? Uh, my, my once my coach told me, yeah, it's it's easy just run in the back, and once you know uh, how the end is, just increase your speed and and run away, but. Uh, I don't think it's that at all. Um, in Switzerland, you saw that that Fortschek, who is actually really strong in this discipline, is, mm. is taking taking uh, the lead or or is taking over the race uh, from the beginning. Uh, and I think that's or my feeling is that's also a very smart move, just to to speed up from the beginning, make the other one tired and. Uh, course if you have that top speed which uh, he has i saw him racing a few weeks ago where he he was running at 3k and in total time he was a, his, his pb is or or is the best time is is um, slower than me but he he was able to run his last lap under under one minute so uh that shows uh for me exactly what kind of runner he is and uh that's he is a 
is a big uh, big uh, opponent in the in the knockout sprint. Yeah, definitely. And so the European champs is going so going to go back to Switzerland again next year for the European champs. Are you happy that that's the decision that was made to upgrade that um, World Cup to be a European Championships? Of course, because now this year there isn't any any sprint. Uh, and it would have been a real sprint here, so mm. I'm happy they they find another solution for um, for the coming years. So I'm I'm really looking forward to both go to to Switzerland, uh, where then both the individual and the knockout sprint will be held, and then mm. to Czech Republic, where uh, only uh, it will be only the individual sprint there. But I think that's uh, that's a perfect program for me. Sounds good. Mm. Um, I think I saw on Twitter you were all, you were pretty concerned with the selection policy for the World Games, which is going to be in Birmingham, Alabama, now being moved to 2022. And I think the IOF have had a little look at the selection policy. Mm-hmm. Are you are you now happy with that? Yeah, I think, uh, or or at least uh, the the World Games in Poland were my first uh, or Belgium's first. Uh, attendance in this uh, championship and the the media attention and everything around it was so big so um, for us world games is also really important and yeah i was really aiming for this i told you i'm planning my my years or the coming <laughs> years and uh, the world games was really high on my list so i was of course with all these cancellations a bit cons- unsure what they would do with the selections but i think if I stay number one in the sprint world ranking and if I do well in both Europeans and walk next year or walk sprint, I will, uh, I will, I think, be sure to be in the World Games. Mm. That's interesting that you, um, you know, folk prioritize that event quite a lot. It's, it's um, for, for those who don't know, it's uh, a multi-sport event like the Olympics, but kind of I've described it as for all the sports that want to get into the Olympics. So it's like the second tier. It's pretty exciting with lots of different kind of minor sports going on at the same time. But some people don't really care. Some nations don't really care that much about it. Is it what? Why? Why do you care so much about that? That event. Um, I told you, of course, I, I won a medal there, so that meant a lot for me. And I have good memories for it in Poland. And then also, it was the first time the national national television had a whole uh, a news item about me winning a medal in this uh, in Poland. So orienteering was big, quite big that day on 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 national TV. So that's just uh, yeah, a nice a nice result of of. of of my 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 medal and uh, I think I'm a I'm, I see myself a bit like a pioneer. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if this is the right English word. Yeah, but, pioneer. Uh, yeah, pioneer in Belgian orienteering and kind of this results and this media attention makes of sports a bit more more well known and I think that's really also one of the things I I want to achieve to to get orienteering on a wider wider public or uh, that more people get to know this beautiful sport and what's it like for you i guess coming from a a smaller orienteering nation and a smaller federation like belgium where you've not got let's take the knockout sprint for example you four races in in one day i guess there's not quite the team support that a country like switzerland will have what's that kind of like the major championships for you competing 
Yeah, for example, if you look back on the on the knockout sprint in Switzerland last year, um, okay, I made it to the final, but in the end, I'm just sitting there on my own in the quarantine, um, stuff like that. So um, the support is a bit smaller, but uh, mm. yeah, they've they've always uh, I like like be behind me, and I get all chances, and I can compete everywhere I want, and. Yeah, of course, it would be nicer to be with a bigger team, to have like training camps together. But uh, one guy need to, <laughs> to to start it. Eh? So yeah. uh, <laughs> so I'm just happy to make uh, Belgium more enduring bigger. Mm. And do you see that maybe there's, there's some juniors kind of coming through the ranks or whether that's in forest or sprint? Do you, do you think that's having an impact? Of course, uh, the, the youngsters and other people are looking looking to my results, and I hope I can motivate with uh, them with uh, with it. And I do see that they are at least working well on on making uh, good trainings for them. They're going on some training camps, um, so I believe there is a good like setup for for training. But um, of course, I, I started because now with this Corona, I had some time to, to look back uh, on how I did it. I started eight years ago when I really decided to, to give it a chance. And uh, it, it took several years. And um, yeah, I do hope someone wants to do the same in Belgium. But uh, yeah, it's not a sport where a lot of money is involved. So uh, it's really you need to, to, to do it from yourself and because you you like it so i really hope one one at least one guy is trying the same as me so uh we will see so eight years ago was that when you kind of decided to take it seriously and then at what point within there was it definitely about the sprint for you um yeah i'm i've always been or, or athletics has always been my my like like not say main sport, but uh, I started running when I was seven years old, and I've been always in an athletics club since then. So uh, orienteering came into my life when I was fourteen, and then yeah, around twenty, I decided like okay, I I, I have some chances. I can. I didn't train too properly, but uh, I did well with the training I did right at that moment, um, and then it just. I don't know why, but <laughs> it was together with my parents. They always supported me really well because that's also in in Belgium. Uh, the federation is is partly helping, but main the main the main help is just from your parents or from your club. So um, yeah, I decided that moment I really want to 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 see what I can achieve, and then it was obvi- obviously for me that that sprint orienteering was uh, was where I had the biggest chance to do do well. Um, so for me, it was clear I, I would pick, pick this also because it's mostly easy or it is the easiest to train just from, from home here in Belgium. Mm. We have enough uh, maps and uh, it doesn't need to, or it doesn't, uh, you don't need to travel too much. For forest orienteering, I would need to live almost in, in some Scandinavian country or uh, a country where there is a lot of diverse terrain but uh, sprint um, I could train from home and also sprint orienteering has developed a lot the last 10 years so um, 
yeah, let's say it was it was soon after I decided I give this uh, sport minded focus a, a go. I will focus on on sprint orienteering. Hmm. But you don't avoid the forest totally, do you? Because I think some people will have probably seen you running first leg at Tiamila and Eucla recently for for your Finnish club, Turin Metzen Caveat. How do they um, how do they balance your sprint ambitions with with racing for them in the forest? Yeah, I, I think uh, many many do think I'm just a sprint orienteer, but if you compare, I do a lot of forest orienteering. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, Mostly for the club, um, I've, I'm running now for five years for them, and um, I think on, on 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 like for example, like you said, this first legs, uh, I can do really well if I stay calm. I, I just do my job and come back with the leading group, and that's good for them. So uh, they know and they see, of course, also what I do on training camps and. Um, what I've done also in past uh, Tiomila Yukola, so they knew they know they can uh, trust on me to to do well also in these relays, but they know of course that I don't have any individual goals in the forest, but uh, they don't mind it. They support me also with that. Hmm. Have they ever been to- tempted to put you on a uh, a long night leg ungaffled? Because no one's going to drop you. <laughs> I think. I, I, <laughs> this is, uh, maybe get on the phone to team management <laughs> <laughs> no I, I, I really like the first leg or I can run also another leg of course but um, I think the smartest decision is to to put me on one of the first legs or or, uh, or at least an unforked leg like you said yeah what's your most memorable international orienteering race uh, Result-wise, or just uh, well, the both, both, both for for good and for bad. Tell us, I'm trying to I'm trying to get some stories out of you, whether they're good or bad ones. <laughs> I think I think the the race I remember, or the the race, the best race I did, or the first race I did well, was Oringen in mm-hmm. 2012. Yeah, was it Halmstad? Uh, there I raced or I did a elite elite um, or I was running an elite and it was the first time I was on the podium next to next to Thierry so that was a, mm. a big achievement in that time I really remembered so um, that was maybe result wise one I, I still do remember and of course I, I remember the, like we said before the, the world world games in, in Poland winning the silver medal uh, is a really really nice memory mainly because of the the media attention I got after it um, competing in China lately <laughs> the last World <laughs> Cup was also uh, special uh, of course, I've been a few times in China, so I, I knew what was uh, what was happening there. But um, yeah, our uh, sport brings a lot of nice memories. Yeah, the, I mean, in China, there's just so many. Feels like there's so many people around. For me, it has an atmosphere unlike any other races. Do you agree? Yeah, that's that's true. Of course, yeah. In orienteering, it's 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 a lot of of yeah similar uh, similar faces. Of course, the. I've been competing a bit also in athletics, and there it's 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 to- totally different. It's uh, yeah, more yeah, 
rival rivalry do you say mm-hmm. rivalry yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i think that's a little less in orienteering so i feel a lot of a lot more relaxed competing in orienteering than than in just running events uh maybe it's also because when i i know maybe when i'm in ch- shape and then <laughs> if i'm competing i can do well and maybe in athletics is still yeah, like yeah there can be so many guys doing doing well but um orienteering is like i said before it's a, a really nice special sport so uh is that something that the sport lacks is that that detracts from it or kind of improves it? and this is a kind of question to both of you there like the personalities of of track and athletics racing are quite i don't know there's a bit of trash talking and not, ego might be the wrong word but they're they're very confident and um there's almost a certain cockiness and arrogance to them like you say, Yannick, with that kind of competitiveness, competitiveness between the races, is that something that orienteering benefits from, do you guys feel? Or, or that maybe we could do with more, more of in the sport to create a few more rivalries? And yeah, maybe we're all it's, too it's, nice. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I like, that's what, what I wanted to say. It's, uh, it's um, really friendly in orienteering. Of course, I have to say, I, I still remember like... Um, Jaywalk when I was running Jaywalk many many years ago, mm-hmm. um, it was okay. Belgium wasn't the, the the biggest country, and I felt like in that time maybe yeah we were always looking up to the to the big big countries and uh, like Sweden and and Denmark they were always doing well, and we felt like oh they were. <laughs> We can never do what they do, but I felt like once in the last years when I started to 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 achieve also good results that uh, this this view got a bit different and also the the, the bigger countries are more open minded than I thought in that time. So uh, my my idea is has changed a bit the the last years. So, mm. but uh, yeah, like we said, also I am I'm I'm tra- traveling a lot individual, and I'm always surprised how how I can jump in training from trainings with other teams, and they're helpful. And yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe if I compete more in athletics, it's happening the same there. But I don't I don't believe it. I think orienteering is 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 way more friendly and open minded than than other sports. Yeah, yeah I, I'd agree there because I don't think you get a, a many other sports where you could just jump in on a team training session for the relays a few days no. before the world championships, <laughs> I think. Yeah. I think that is really unique and something that as soon as the gun goes, I feel like yeah, everyone does switch it on and becomes a rival. But before that moment... And after it's really, yeah, just race. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and then you can just, yeah, even if you like you clash in a race or something like that or, you know, tempers get hot then as soon as you finish i think it all it all calms down which is kind of kind of cool and kind of nice um yeah, yeah. but maybe maybe we just... need more trash talk <laughs> well i guess you just accept if you've got beaten somebody did better than you on the day you know then yeah it's it's really because yannick as you said before there's so many different factors at play as to whether you win that medal or not or whether you win a world championships or not then sometimes you have to step back and say ah it was not my day today mm-hmm. yeah that's true yeah like in mostly in running it's always there yeah, you compare trainings before and then oh, i was running that times and i was running that fast but in orienteering it's uh, yeah 
is you can you can train up well to the event and during the day or that day still so many things can go wrong mm. but uh, I think that's at least also in the last years I know now my body really well my coach knows really well how I react on some kind of trainings and I do feel confident when when I'm in shape and coming to a, a bigger event mm. What what does it take you to get into that that confident mindset? To so say you're, you know, you're going for world champs, and how how do you have to feel or or think going into that? Or is there a kind of specific session that you do just beforehand? Yeah, not to give away too many secrets, obviously. No, <laughs> yeah, sessions. I'm always at least I compare sometimes with with uh, the Swedish team, for example. They do a lot of of sprint orienteering trainings uh, up to their uh, or in their preparation. I do like to do more, a bit more running focused um, training until uh, four weeks before mm-hmm. the event. And then the last three to four weeks, I prefer to do the, also the interval sessions with a map. So mm-hmm. that's maybe something I like in my, in my preparation that... Uh, once I, I, I'm getting in that top shape and then the end we change that top shape in, into or convert it into orienteering. So uh, that's how we did it now, the last uh, preparations for, uh, for the World Cups. And um, yeah. of course, after, after it's now soon, soon eight, I like almost 10 years, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm training hard and training on a high level so after a while that i know when i feel when when i'm ready and i say when i train well i i feel confident and i think that's the that's good enough for for competing yeah and what kind of mentally what kind of a run do you need to have in order to get a good result how do you think you have to feel do you are you someone who likes to get really like fired up really excited or you're someone who's pretty calm and tries to say stay really relaxed um also that has in, has, has, has changed during during the years in the beginning mm. of course i didn't have a lot of experience uh, i was still looking up to all the all the big guns and all the big names and oh i i make it to the final now i need to compete against them and i was really really nervous but once I got into this uh, rhythm and also had got some results, I got calmer and calmer. Uh, and especially now, the the last the last two three years, I I'm I think I'm a really calm person in that. <laughs> so um, yeah, I don't make myself too nervous. I don't think too much. I just yeah, a smooth run, a clean run, and then I think if the shape is good. I'm close to, yeah, close enough to to fight for for a good result. Mm. And I guess now you're one of the guys that all of the other, you know, maybe first time at World Championships, all the other people are looking up to and going, "Oh my gosh, I'm racing against him! I'm racing against Yannick! This this is crazy! How does that make you feel?" I'm still, I've, I've still felt still very, very, <laughs> yeah, like strange <laughs> with it. So like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but um, I, I think I still, I just come to a competition, I do my best and uh, yeah, 
it yeah. feels strange for me that people look up to me, but of course it is like that. Uh, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a nice feeling, of course, that people uh, look up to you. And and then yeah, I think one lesson for all of them is like see where I came from and see what I became, and I think it's possible for everyone. And you've been um, you've obviously been dabbling your toe in. Uh, athletics for quite a long time as well and you did the Barcelona half earlier in the year in yep. in 63.09 um, just nine seconds off the Belgian standard there you, are you, are you going to maybe move towards that in these alternating years between forest and sprint a bit more and maybe even push for European champs marathon team or something like that yeah of course uh, it's it's now this maybe this year we have been thinking about uh, changing a bit uh, focus on 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 just running because there is not really an orienteering goal anymore for for the end of this year uh, but then we started to plan like i said before i just know one race i'm 100 percent sure about that i will run and that's the first of august <laughs> And then for the rest of the year, it's still still very unsure. So uh, all these running events are, are mass events. So um, a lot of them will not go on. So mm-hmm. I think in the future wise, it's, it will be like that. The years where there will be a bit more forest minded or forest focused uh, years, I, I will focus a bit more on the running again. And then years like, for example, next year, that uh, both Europeans and and walk sprint, I can focus on that, and I think I can find the, I know how to find the right balance between or in that, and um, yeah, I do. I I will do that for sure. Mm. Mm. And what kind of distances are are your most favourite? This half marathon in Barcelona was the the first time I really focused and 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 changed my training on the bit longer distance so uh, and i really enjoyed those longer trainings and those longer more steady running compared to the the faster and shorter intervals i did before but also them i i really enjoy i really really like the the preparation towards the sprint walk it's the same like for example a three or a five k on the track and uh, those really intense, high, high-paced trainings, I really enjoy them also. But uh, also during this half marathon, uh, I this long when I'm running at 30k with a fast average, <laughs> it's really, <laughs> it's really, really enjoyable also. So uh, I think finding again the right balance uh, in the training, and also it's now I know next year in May is the first. Y- focus so um we can really um divide my year or my my training schedule towards that that time of the year and maybe in this winter i will do a bit more of just pure running Mm. and what does that kind of this is this is kind of going a bit inside baseball but uh what does that weekly schedule look like you know how many how many miles or sessions a week are you are you kind of putting out i'm assuming probably a couple of interval sessions long run and then a mix of mileage in there yeah i'm actually very open in strava so people can at me oh, on there strava we go. so uh, <laughs> uh i've opened that and i put uh, also recently i started to put also times and rest so people can see what i what i do and i think uh, i want to show what i do mm. um now the law la- of course we said we had this corona then um 
I increased or I had a small break and then I started to increase uh, training again. So now it's around 100, 140 kilometers per week. So it's not extremely much, but um, uh, I feel I feel it's working well now. We do, like you said, two, two sessions a week. One, like today, I was on the track doing 800. Um, but on Sunday, I'm doing a bit longer, longer intervals again. So... Um, yeah, it's very. That's a good thing with my coach. It's very, very um, diverse training, and every week is different. So uh, that's also keeping me motivated. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because I think that, yeah, like you say, with no racing, that's the tough thing is keeping that motivation to go and step on the track and really hurt yourself. Sometimes you you do lose that. No, that today element. today it hurt it again. So I, I was. Like, <laughs> oh, that's I good. Was, I was happy to feel that and um, of course I have now one goal <laughs> this 10k in August so uh, preparation is a bit focused on that and yeah, it's a bit sad that also in autumn there is no bigger sprint event at the moment mm. going on mm-hmm. I hope to get some more news but uh, yeah I think uh, we just need to, to to keep in mind that Europeans next year will be the first uh, big uh, big goal yeah yeah and then i guess just going to that european championship so say you're on the start line and i don't see we don't have to go too too far into this but how do you approach the running of of a sprint race like you said earlier that you uh, you're more a fan of those long sustained efforts you know you think you, that's your strength over other people compared to the short kind of harder efforts of the uh, knockout prologue how do you how do you pace a, a sprint race or do you go all out right from the gun or do you hold yourself back and you know pick up the pace at the at the latter end of the race or are you focusing more on the mental side knowing the speed will take care of itself um i think like i said if I, if the shape is well i train well i don't need to think too much uh, about my legs that's uh a lot of people telling that to me always, Yannick, uh, if you train well, your legs will do the work. Uh, so you just need to, to read the map and uh, go from control to control, make the right decisions. And in the end, also, I don't, I don't know how to explain, but I, I can feel during a race how I'm doing. So uh, I, mm. it's a bit special maybe to tell, but uh, if if... Yeah, it's a kind of feeling, and 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 if 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 I'm, yeah, orienteering well, and yeah, then I know the result will be similar. So, yeah, I, I think also maybe, I I run. I I wouldn't say I I keep I keep, or I I slow. I'm a bit slower in the beginning. No, I start fast, of course. Uh, of course, the qualification race is also a bit different there maybe i run a bit safer but uh most likely i just go all in from the beginning and then towards the end if there is some energy left i just push there a little bit more <laughs> but in a good in a good course setting it's always the only the only point where you can start really pushing is from the last control to the finish eh? yeah mm. yeah absolutely that's the that's the only moment you're safe yeah, on the whole thing. for the rest, it's, you just need to do your job and, and orienteer well and read the map. Yeah. 
as this is all our, our World Championships special episode, I want to have the last question back again yes. about the World Championships. So what was your favourite World Championships of those that you've done? Um, I think Italy, maybe. The one in mm-hmm. Venice was really, really special. I was discussing it with my with my coach some some weeks ago that it was really like a nice day with with the qualification there on Burano and then we all after uh, we had a one hour after the qualification and I remember I was eating a small pasta in Burano and then we had to take uh, this ferry to the quarantine in Vin- Venice itself and uh, I think that was I, I still remember that one as a really really unique place to to do a world championship. Was that your first walk or was 2013? No, no first walk 2011. It was 2011. Yes, oh god. Didn't yeah. make it. I didn't oh. make it to the final. But no, you were 24th place in the in the qualification. Yeah. And I think that year during that winter was the game changer for me. Mm. Yeah. So what nice. what changed? Was that, that that decision that you said earlier? You know, to, right? I'm going to go for this. Um, let's say I was I was <laughs> I was really young, and uh, of course, uh, at that time, I, I really like to 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 go out also. So <laughs> I was. Uh, <laughs> I remember I was going out on Saturday night, uh, and on the next Sunday, uh, I did a race. Not the smartest, maybe, but uh, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't slept much, and uh, I got beaten by someone that coming day, and I never ever got beaten in my life by him. And during the or at the finish, I told him, "Now it's now I just go all in for running." <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit yeah. That, that's oh, so it. funny that just like that that one time you, that that particular race just change the whole outlook it's fantastic never again yeah. no so uh from that day on the next day really funny started to training twice per day not going out anymore and yeah now you see where i am so wow uh, yeah look look how far you've come since then goodness yep. me wow well, little, little did you know on that night out that yeah. it'd be a game changer uh well i Actually, I was just going to sneak in one final one of um, on, on walk this year. Obviously, you would have won. It was either going to be you or Chris Jones that would have won, because, uh, <laughs> or, 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 or a other Brit. It was going to be a Brit or Yannick that would have won walk this sure, year. But, sure, sure. That, um, that would be great. Yeah, I'd yeah, be fantastic. Um, but ex- excluding yourself, um, who do you think would have been top three at, uh, at the World Champs this year for, me- for the women and for the men? Well, I think... Chris, if I'm no, if one guy who is is running really well at the moment, it's it's Chris. So I think Chris is uh, is is very strong in both running and also he's not competing as much as me. So I'm always r- r- surprised when he is actually competing in orienteering. He's doing so well because mm-hmm. uh, I. I travel all around the world and then he's just coming to Europeans and he's <laughs> smashing it. So, um, yeah, he's, uh, if he's uh, not injured and he's in shape, he, he was for sure the guy to beat. And then if we just tell the individual sprint, I think uh, Joey Hardorn mm-hmm. uh, from Switzerland, he has, uh, I think he has very big potential. Um, and of course, Tim. Tim, if he's 
if mm. he's trained well, uh, I think he's also a, a talent. So mm. I think, uh, and I'm really happy that that's all young guys. So um, yeah, the coming years are looking uh, looking uh, exciting. <laughs> yeah. So and in the girls, it's a bit hard to say if it's in Denmark and Maya was running. She's uh, she's for sure the the fastest runner of them all. So. Mm. I think it would be hard to beat her, and then um, yeah, Tova should be possible, I guess, also in 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 sprint, and then a Swiss girl, another Swiss girl, of course. In the women's, uh, I would say it's a bit harder to say. I think in the men's, it's uh, it's a, lo- a lot of guys with potential, but in the women, I think the gaps are a bit bigger. So. Mm. There's maybe less specialism as well. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe the, the they're, they're, are, they're all running everything, and in the guys, it's that's true. Yeah, in the guys, there it feels there are more guys who are just doing sprint, and then there are of course a big few guys who are just doing well in everything. So, um, <laughs> damn them. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> damn their talent. Uh, yeah. Well, no thanks, Yannick, um, for for jumping on for uh, for this podcast episode on walk with us and obviously best of luck for for the race on the first of august hopefully you Thanks. come away with a medal from the uh from the belgian champs and um, well, i do and I, I do hope also to run a fast time that's also mm. is it track or road this road right. it's road. Yeah. road so um yeah i think i i i hope to run sub 29 so i i hope there it will not be too hot because in the middle of the summer uh, and I do hope a lot of good guys are coming, and then I just hope for a fast, fast time. That's uh, yeah. what I'm training for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, well, well, best of luck, and hopefully, we'll be able to find a stream somewhere and watch you because that would be the uh, probably the best sport on that weekend. So <laughs> that'd be uh, that'd be great to watch. And yeah, best of luck, and obviously stay safe, and hopefully see you at, yep. uh, at the next races. Yeah, you too. Thank you. So thank you very much to Yannick for sharing all his insight um, on all of his training and lockdown and, of course, views on Wok. But from one elite to another, we're going to... Will, it's time for me to interrogate you about um, what you do during World Championships. So you were at, uh, again, the Championships in Estonia, did the middle. Mm -hmm. um, And, of course, you would have been selected for this one if it happened. Yep. Uh, So... Like, you know, I was talking through kind of what my day was like. What, if you've got a race, pick a race if you want. Um, you know, what what are you doing throughout that day? Set the scene. Um, so the, so the day itself. So um, I, uh, I always like to go for a, wake up and go for a shake up for breakfast on the day mm-hmm. of. 15 minutes, um, just nice and easy. Just do some, do some drills beforehand, wake the muscles up. Do some strides as well. Um, I'm never a person who likes to to taper down a lot for for races. I found that if I have a really long time kind of tapering in, then I I get a bit stale. So I like to wake the body up in the morning and um, do some strides, get everything activated, and get the body ready to go. And um, so I'll probably do yeah, 15 minutes, some drills, some strides, and uh, maybe a little bit of light stretching, and then some breakfast. What's your breakfast of choice for a race day? Or can you even have a breakfast of choice? You just kind of have to go with what's there. So, well, yeah. So in China, I was having to go with what was there. <laughs> and, 
I'll be honest, I, I struggled at those races to really um, fuel correctly, I think, um, mm. looking back at it. And I, I, I probably realised there quite how important it, it is for sprints, because sometimes I think you just assume, oh, it's a 15-minute race, you know, it's not, it's not too drastic. But I'll probably eat something around two hours before I before I start my warm-up as my final um, time that I eat. For normal sessions and things, I can eat a lot closer, but I found that sometimes on race day that I need to eat a bit further out. I'm not one of these people who, who kind of has to wait three or four hours or doesn't eat at all in the morning, though. Um, mm. I find that I, I burn through stuff a bit too quickly for that. And I've made that error before, especially when there's a race later in the day, because I think you've even when you've got a qualification race, you've still got to think about how you're fueling for the final race as well. Mm. Um, so then I'll... Uh, I'll probably have will have packed my bag beforehand uh, the night before, so I'll have breakfast probably muesli or porridge or something like that, just nice and standard. It's not going to sit too heavily and it's relatively simple. Maybe if it's uh, if I've got a really long time and it's a bit of a weird time of the day, let's say I'm I'm eating breakfast around about eight eight thirty, might have a make myself like a couple of slices of toast to then take into quarantine to then have beforehand as well maybe like an hour and a half before I like have half slabs of toast just to keep it topped up and also so I don't go too too low into my stores before like before the race and then have to eat loads and then feel really heavy for the final mm-hmm. so I've got all my recovery drinks and um, food sorted for for after the qualification so I'll go into quarantine chill there now describe what quarantine is because I think a lot of people don't know or like what physical environment you're in Okay, so it can completely depend on the country that you're in. So for Finland last year for the forest races, we were um, next to a small school in a in a bit of an open, kind of open grassland and forest. When you've got a school, you're normally in the gym, but that can get pretty hot on the warm days in the summer. So we went outside last summer, but sometimes you're outside completely and there's no inside space. Um, sometimes you're only inside and you're kind of, cluttered in with everyone else like sardines but essentially for quarantine you need to get to this allocated location normally a school or a gym or you know some kind of park with a location that you can then warm up around you've got to get there by a certain time so say nine o'clock so we'll all try and get there about 10 minutes before so if you're one of the first starters you'll probably get in get changed if you need to crack on with your warm-up that'll probably be about 20 minutes maybe half an hour depending on how you're feeling take your bag to a bag drop that gets sent straight to the to the finish and then you'll go from quarantine either on a bus or by running along a taped route to get to pre-start. If you're in there for a bit longer, normally you might read a book or paper or I know people do crosswords or play cards. Um, the British team have got a really nice tradition of playing a card game called Exploding Kittens, which is very good fun. Highly recommend it. Um, which, uh, and, and yeah, think- nice and fun. Like you're relaxing, you're having a, like having a bit of a laugh. Exactly, which all of the, in Finland last year, all of the other nations kind of looking at us, was getting like kind of arguing about this card game, and well, I think thinking we is, weren't very. What relaxed, is the but... atmosphere there? Like, I can imagine like you have a lot of athletes who are just getting a bit stressed or like being a box of nerves, and or what is everyone like ridiculously trying to like ridiculously chill out? So some this people is the side I don't see. Yeah, some people are just zen, like they don't care. Um, Daniel Hubman just goes in sleeping bag like mat down sleeping bag down kind of go straight to sleep um in finland but he last could be year, there for like hours and hours like four or exactly. five hours before he yeah. starts running especially on a, like a long distance yeah 
Yeah, but pe- people take hammocks that they put up sometimes between a couple of trees. So Kratov last year, I think, put up a hammock and rolled up nice. in it and went to sleep. I think Tim might have, Tim Robertson might have done the same. Um, some people, yeah, a little bit stressed. Um, I certainly used to be one of those people at my at my um, walk in Estonia. I was definitely a bit of a bag of nerves and kind of go, oh my god, this is what this is. I've got to suddenly change everything I was doing. Um, ultimately, I think you've got to remember that no one, no one cares. I say no one cares what anyone else is doing, but it's hard not to see what other people are doing. When the warm-up's really close to where everyone's, um, where everyone's camped out, so sometimes there'll be tents and it's quite a small enclosed space. Uh, actually, where the World Cup relay was, uh, sprint relay in Helsinki last year, um, everyone was outside on a grass mm. bank outside this building um, and a car park where they had a... a they ran you from this building to uh, to the pre-start, but the only reason they had the building was for some extra toilets and you weren't actually allowed to stay in there. So everyone was outside, but that was also the warm-up arena before you jogged to, uh, they jogged to take you to um, the pre-start. So you had to go in your uh, like allocated leg block. So leg one would go 10 minutes before their start. So you had to warm up in this kind of, 400 meter space of people just doing laps around everyone <laughs> to warm up and you'd see people kind of surging through and doing strides and then easing off and then some people doing hill sprints and then some people stretching in the middle of the grass next to them and then people running around them so it's, that was a weird one of people just everywhere and it seemed really stressed um mm. I, I found it kind of funny <laughs> you see people because you end up seeing people and you just go what is this warm-up routine you're doing. I've never seen anything like it. People from doing these weird stretches. Well, I guess like you can't help but look at people. Well, maybe yeah. you can. Maybe you can just bury your head. But I guess if you if you are looking at people, you've got to turn it into a, a good thing rather than a bad thing. Like, you don't want to look at people and go, oh, my God, they're going to be they're warming up really yeah. well. Oh, my God, they look really good. You've got to be like, oh, that's funny. Lol. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the error I made at my first jaywalk, I think. I went into the long distance and went, ah. Oh, there's the Norwegian team, there's the Swedish team. Oh, mm. They're the best. Look at that yeah. warm-up. I don't do that. Or oh, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And then I go in now and go, that's weird. What, what the hell are you doing? That's not going to make a difference. What are you doing that for? Um, <laughs> I think normally the best way is, yeah, whack some, whack some music in. Maybe if you've got an eye mask, put an eye mask on, read the paper, just chill out, stay off your feet, talk to your mates, yeah, and just kind of relax and do your own thing. Because people do, I think people do try and psych people out. Or in terms of a very nice sport, as as Yannick kind of alluded to in the um, in the interview. Mm. But I think people probably do have their their small games in quarantine of what they're trying to probably, especially knock out of maybe trying to get an edge over people or psych them out or going, oh bloody hell, that that striver's fast. You know, he must mm. be feeling really fresh for this final mm. um, and things like that. So it's it, it's an interesting place. You you can you're not allowed to take any maps into quarantine. Mm-hmm. And no phones, of course, as well. No, no phones, no contact with the outside world, uh, no maps, which actually in my first time in quarantine at EYC in 2011 in Czech Republic, there was a Russian guy warming up with a map and he got pulled um, mm. from, from the race right then and there. Which, nice. Like, you saw it and, and he was kind of trying to explain to the organiser that, no, 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 it's, it's a map of somewhere else, it's just for practice, but it was a map of the area. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... Yeah, you get people doing those weird things as well of maybe running with a bit of paper or something like that and setting up the compasses and choosing which one they're going to have. And are are you thinking about the race? You personally, are you? Do you try and think about things that you might face on the race, or you just kind of switch off? It's a, it's a mixture, yeah. Different things at different moments because 
I'll try not to stress myself by thinking about it too much if I'm in there for a long time. If I'm in there for for not very long at all, it's probably all about, yep, yeah, get in, like, don't worry about what any, anyone else in the team's doing, don't worry about what anyone else in the room's doing, focus on what you've got to do because like, you, you've got these set times that you've got to go and do everything. Uh, when you get to the quarantine as well, it, you might have already seen it on the location on a map, so maybe you're trying to work out where it is and you think, right, okay, because you're bused there or driven there normally and mm. not allowed to go through the area. So you go, right, well, okay, well, I'm in the north of the town. That means we're starting there and then running south to the arena. What does it look like? What are the key aspects of the race that might come up first? Is there a big hill or if it's the forest, is it a green section at the start? Will I need to be a bit more cautious and slow down or will I need to or go out hard if it's really open and then slow down later on, that kind of thing? Or, or for the sprint, you know, is it um, are we in a really technical alleyway section or are we starting in a bit of a wider block section and, and kind of how do you approach that first control and trying to figure that out as well and just running through in your mind of the scenarios of a bit of visualisation I guess of what you're trying to do but I try not to do that right early on that's more maybe as I'm warming up run, mm. run through my mind in that kind of that time that space when I'm away from everyone else and can think about it clearly yeah and do you have any kind of team team staff there in quarantine yeah so we'll normally have at least one person there mm-hmm. with us and they're they're kind of make sure we're we're kept on time make sure we're not stressing out too much and worrying about things we don't have to so they'll be uh waiting by the bag drop to make sure your bags are, are taken or they'll they'll take the bags for you and go over it. you just worry about what you're handling yeah, tell me where yeah. your bags are i'll do it for you um so those kind of people can, or, or they might be waiting at the pre-start so normally they'll wait around with the bags and with the athletes in the quarantine then they'll go to the pre-start and then be there with you there to make sure you know they'll, they'll have a spare compass maybe spare laces in mm-hmm. case you need anything like that um have some water with you with them as well to make sure you can stay hydrated and they can be a really calming influence when you are maybe getting a little bit too stressed before the start maybe you've spoken to them beforehand and said you know i'd like to is it they'll say is there anything that you want me to say before you start or are you you kind of cool being talked to or do you not want to be talked to how do you want me to interact because there are people Mm. who just don't want to be spoken to at all and they'll go off into their own bubble what do you do i'm (laughs) probably depends on the race i think i'm pretty i think i'm pretty relaxed about it all and can try and switch my switch my mind on in the as i'm going into the boxes because Mm. i know what i've got to do and i know that like that's my time to kind of switch on and go for it. I've got a couple of routines to do that. Um, so I don't mind chatting, possibly also because that's what I do when I'm nervous as well, is mm. babble a bit or, or chat away. So that's just me. Um, but I know well, there's... Will, I don't think you saw me, but I saw you start in the sprint, individual sprint in China, and you were in one of the start boxes, and I was standing right there, and I was like... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say anything. I'm not gonna. Because oh, really? you were like in in a box, and I was like, you, you got you had a game face on, and I was like, last thing he needs is me. Be like, yeah, I got Will. See, uh, when I'm in the box, I'm I, I'm switched on and I'm ready to go. Yeah. But just before then, what you wouldn't have seen is kind of two minutes before Duncan Burtwistle, a housemate of mine, was there manning the um, minus one box. So mm. I got there a couple of minutes before. And we had a bit of a joke around. It was like, oh, good luck. And I went, no worries, I'm off. I'll speak to you later. Yeah. And that kind of went for a little jog for a minute and then came back in, got myself in my little bubble and kind of went. So yeah. I feel like I can switch it relatively easily. But or I, I, but I didn't used to be like that. I used to have to go away into a, a 
I feel like I had to get myself into a zone beforehand, but I think because I heard so much about people doing it or um, I felt like it was something that people did, so I needed to do as well. And then realised that actually, you know, not talking to people or hiding myself away maybe made myself more stressed. So Mm. I tried to focus on the fact that, you know, if I can't get myself up for it and, you know, focused in those boxes, there's no point in me being there. So that's kind of what I focus on. Yeah, well, I know always that when I coach on Lag and Lear, we're talking about, we talk about like pre-race prep and getting focused and everything. But actually, I think what is always key to emphasise that it's about finding your own routine. And sometimes that means trying out different things to see what works for you. Mm. It's not one size fits all. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I don't, I don't know if it winds people up or not, though, because I had an experience in 2016 in the middle distance at World University Champs where... And looking back, it's such a stupid thing to do. So I went into the minus four box and then I realised I forgot my headband and left it in my bag. And Mark Nixon had just dropped me off at the quarantine. It's like, right, if you've got everything you need, you're good to go. Yep, Mark, good to go. Going to smash it. No worries. Went into the box and went, ah, haven't got my headband. Sorry, I'm just going to leave. And the start official looked at me like I was absolutely mad. (laughs) <laughs> and then ran back to my bag past Mark. He just shouted at me some expletives about what are you doing? Like, Forgot my headband, don't worry about it. Got it, ran, sprinted, like essentially did another stride back up the hill. Um, like, Will, what's the matter? Like, no worries, Mark, we've got the headband, it's sorted. <laughs> got back into the minus three box, I think, because a full, it was a bit of a, a couple hundred metres, so maybe a minute or so had gone by. Got the descriptions, mm. put them in. And the, the starfish went, Are you ready now then? Yeah, yeah, no worries. I'm good. <laughs> And then just two minutes of, right, calm, process, focus on what you're going to do. I, I don't know, kind of got a routine for that. I've got a routine for that final minute, kind of follow the breaths of those beeps, go, start. Then, the, then it's like half an hour. And something I always tell myself is you've only got to try and be professional and world-class for half an hour. This is just half an hour of your life. Like, it's nothing. You can just focus on what you've got to do. If You know, just switch it on, do it, yeah. go for it. And, and that, but that was, looking back, it's that, it's an absolutely criminal and stupid thing. It was running back to get a headband. Like, what did it matter? Mm. But I think because I planned to have it, then I had to go back and get it. Which is one of those small idiosyncrasies I've tried to get out of the habit of um, of being that rigid. But that was something kind of, kind of something that I used to do that was quite rigid. That uh, yeah, I don't, I've, I don't think I've gone out of a Starbucks before. But I think having that flexibility is good for in case anything happens like that. So the mm. the British sprints last year. I got the time wrong or the clock was maybe a minute fast and a few of us turned up late so I had to jump a box immediately and kind of lose a minute of the boxes so it went mm. against what I planned so I just had to adapt and get get used to that and then kind of reset again so it does have its benefits so that's kind of most of the the pre-race like what is what was the atmosphere just like in the whole competition like where do you stay what do you do as a team you know that kind of thing um so normally for walk, you stay. The team stay separate to each other in their own accommodation. Mm-hmm. The organisers might set up certain accommodations for uh, different price bands that um, teams can stay in. But I think normally we get a um, a team accommodation somewhere, and we stay a bit separate to people so that you're not. Because uh, for Jaywalk and World Juniors, you're staying all in one big accommodation, which is fun. But it kind of allows you to be a bit more kind of together as a team. But you're making sure that you're respecting anyone who's got a race before you do. Um, and how they will go about their routines and what they like to do. Um, normally, I guess you're probably in a couple of people's room, so the coaches will try and figure out who's like 
who are good to share with each other and things like that or you know you know if there's any people in couples or relationships maybe they'll stay together and, and things like that so it's uh yeah you kind of just stay in one big one big accommodation almost like a, a team training camp away but just that extra level of stress and um <laughs> if people have a good race it's it's amazing you know the team atmosphere is really high if people have a bad race you kind of just don't talk about it move on you know respect that they'll, they'll talk about it if they want to it's uh it can get a bit intense sometimes with knowing how to react to different people because sometimes you you don't know those well people as as well as others that you know in the group so i imagine that i was in a bit of a foul mood after <laughs> walk in 2017 after my middle distance so people probably maybe didn't maybe trod on eggshells around me for the rest of that day i don't know but uh <laughs> but yeah it's a it's a balancing act sometimes but it's all the atmosphere is always really nice and we kind of pick each other up if, if people have had bad runs and try and support each other through and and really harness that team atmosphere to to its best because people feel that pressure to perform as well of of delivering for people who have uh who've supported them throughout the year and they feel like they need to maybe pay back that faith or they've got parents there watching them which is quite an unusual thing normally for internationals you don't get your your parents come over and watching you too much for some of the world cups and things so there's that added pressure people have, people have flown out to watch you you know it's all uh this is what you've you've told people at work you've booked the time off for for mm -hmm. the world champs and all of that kind of extra things that go along with it that yeah adds to that kind of collection of emotions which which is fun but it's more more when you look back at it <laughs> <laughs> well yeah maybe you have to kind of yeah learn learn from your experiences and everything well yeah so that sounds really great well it's, oh, it's such a shame that you know neither of us can be there at the moment but course we all kind of understand like wh why obviously and um now some dates set for next few world championships um so yeah well i'm just so excited to get back <laughs> and now we can do you know some dates now for orienteering in england like you know hopefully we it's not going to feel too long until we're kind of all in those same routines again and we haven't forgotten what we we were going to do so thank you very much to our new sponsor of the podcast, Envy Sport. Envy Sport is an Australian brand originally, which is now spreading into Scandinavia and the orienteering world, designing orienteering shoes uh, with the aim of being the best racing shoe on the planet. So they've got a few different um, styles and fits for you know, forest orienteering, sprint orienteering, fell and general terrain as well. And it's based around the Key family in Melbourne, in Australia, who I had the privilege of uh, living with during my scholarship in Australia. And they've really put a lot of heart and soul into these. And I think it, it shows in the, uh, in my opinion, the delivery of, of the shoe and really proud of us to kind of come on board with them and them being sponsor, sponsoring the podcast moving forward. And Catherine, you have been trialling some of the shoes. What are yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, I was trialling the um, the forest ones, which have the the dobs on, and I was up at um, Wimmill Hill, which was used for the the middle distance of the JK last year, and yeah, they were really great. They were uh, so light, but also, you know, I was going through all the brushings and no problems with any kind of like protection with them being so light, which was amazing. And I just had a lot of confidence, kind of going down the really steep slopes there with some really really great grip. I thought they were fantastic. If you head to their website, it's envysport.com and envy spelt N V I I sports.com and that's where you can check out all of their shoes well that's all from the podcast this week we'll be back next time with another in-depth interview 
uh, more news from the orienteering world as we start building towards the opening up of the sport again and events coming back but um, for now we'll leave you with this episode and tune in next week for the Yannick Mikel's sprint episode of the run-in which goes into all things including Yannick's fear of chickens it's worth a listen (laughs) it's a really great one we'll be back then